The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome back to Brutal Nation. I'm your illustrious host, His Royal Highness Prince Scotty, the Great One, Alexander. And right across from me is just Tammy. <laughs> just, just her. Just Tammy Underwood. Just the peasant. The peasant. Speak, peasant. Say hello. Am I allowed to speak? You are allowed am, to speak. Am I now. allowed to put the lotion on me before I get the hose again? You will be heard. <laughs> so disgusting no this is called three and four um with keith we're going to get into those here in a yeah, minute calls three and four yeah. yeah and i just want people to listen to what he says in these calls because um especially in call number three when he's talking about being interrogated the first time for the winningham murder it while he's in new mexico you know, as opposed to the old Mexico. Yeah. But no, he actually goes in and, you know, what he says makes sense. And it's like, you know, because they knew he did it. They just couldn't prove anything because he denied it <coughs> at first. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, it gets into it. And then we'll talk about something after when after we're done with the calls that I want to go over real quick with you. But um, I don't want to, like, give it away until, you know, they hear what he has to say. All right. Groovy. Let's get into the calls. All right, welcome back, Keith. All right, so so I spent six hours denying guilt in the Winningham case. Right. And they knew I killed her, and the reason why they knew I killed her is because I didn't ask her how she died. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, so when I was, I never really dawned on me, because we killers, we know how we kill our victims, right? Right. So when they came over and asked, why did you, you know, they, why'd you kill her and all this kind of stuff, because I didn't. And then one of the cops, he says to me, so well, why didn't you ask me how, how, why she died? And I said, she's a drug addict. Oh. You know, I said, she's a drug addict. She, she does all kinds of stuff. I don't know. The people she hangs with are crazy, right? Right. <laughs> Look who's talking, right? So, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I finally I said, okay, well, how did she die? She was she was strangled. And I said, oh, Really? Well, where did you find her? And then they told me a little bit, and I said, well, I didn't do it. And then, of course, you know, lying to him, but I, at the same I knew, I was looking, all the time I was sitting there, I was looking out a window, and I could see the truck sitting out in the parking lot. They're going through the truck, man, they're going through it. They pulled the tarps off, and they were put, they put the tarps in the trunk of a car. They, they, they told me, we believe you took the body, we put her in the, in the in, rolled her up in the tarp, Carried off under the woods, right? And then dumped her out of the tarp. And I said, are you out of your fucking mind? Those said, fucking tarps are heavy as that fuck. That tarp's 200 pounds. <laughs> I, this, I had a set of, of go-lights. You know what a go-light tarp is? Uh-huh. Well, a go-light tarp is, is a combination metal, you know, a steel tarp yep. and, and lumber tarp. It has a, a, a thick membrane on the top to cover over the, over the product and has canvas sides. So I only have to carry one set of tarps for both steel and and lumber. Right. Whereas other 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 truckers they carry a set of tarps for for steel and they carry another set of tarps for for lumber. Okay. Which is an accident asking to carry another couple hundred pounds on your truck, which I don't want to do. Right, right, but right. They're 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 taking these tarps and they're they're giving me this song and dance and then we we take you know, we want your hair and blood. So well let's go do it, right? So they take the hair and the blood. 
they asked me, will I take a polygraph test? And I said, yeah, go ahead, I'll take a polygraph test. Well, they couldn't arrange the polygraph test, which is okay. What do you want to say, Jack? And we, I, I kept deny, deny, deny all the way, because I knew if I never, never uh, confessed to anything, they couldn't hold me. I just, I, I did what they wanted me to do. I gave them the blood and hair. I, I talked to them. I didn't ask for a lawyer. Now, why didn't I ask for a lawyer? Because I knew the moment guilt. I asked for a lawyer, that would yeah. show me guilt, but it's really not. It's, it's my right to have a lawyer. This, right. is, this is the crazy part of the legal system. It's my right to have a lawyer, and I should have a lawyer. And hell, a lawyer should have a lawyer when they're yeah. being charged by God. But because if I ask for a lawyer, then I must be guilty of something. Right. That's, that's the way the public sees it, and that's the way the cops see it, too. Yeah. If you ask for a lawyer, you must be guilty. But even if, you know, if I'd asked for a lawyer... I'm sure that uh, I would have got the hair and the blood in it, and they would have let me go anyway, but the lawyer would have told me what to expect in the legal system. Right. To some degree. I would have been let go, and I would have known more about what was going on. But I was afraid if I asked for a lawyer that they would see me as being guilty of something. Right. And not be so forthcoming with me. So right. I never asked for a lawyer. And so eventually they, they quit asking all the questions. They said, all right, we're going to let you go. Okay. So I go out to the truck, I walk out to the truck, and while I'm standing there, they give me the affidavit, right, uh -huh. to read, right? They gave me the affidavit they had in order to get the blood and the hair and all this stuff, and these are all, this is a combination of, of questions and answers from all the people they talked to before getting around to me. Right. And so I read the, I went to a truck stop. I went to this truck stop down in, in Las Cruces, and just down the street from the sheriff's office. And I sat there in the, in, the, in the restaurant, and I read the affidavit. Mm -hmm. And I said, man, they caught me. I was caught. From, wow. from reading the affidavit, everybody had been, all her friends had pointed to the guy that never did drugs or, or alcohol. Right. I was a freak. In, the, in other words, I'm the freak because I didn't do all the drugs and shit. Right. And because I was, I stood, I wasn't the ordinary guy as far as they're concerned. I was the guy that, that did, the, did the murder. And, of course, they're right. Right. But I realized I was caught. Now, the only thing I could think of was, man, i got to end my life. i got to get away from, I can't allow this to happen. You know, I don't want to get, I don't want to get in prison. I don't want to, I want to get this, I want to die so that nobody finds out who I really am. Right. So I buy a bunch of sleeping pills out over the counter, and I bought about a bunch of packs, about 72 pills. And I don't know how to help pills react. I mean, these over-the-counter ones, they might as well have just throw them in the trash as, as good as they were because I took all these pills and I lay down in the bed, in my sleeper, and uh, I passed out, right? Well, in the middle of it, my body rejects the pills. I puke up all the pills. They're all over the four little half-digested pills. And I wake up and I'm dopey. And I have to piss really bad. And so I get out of the truck and I walk into the truck. And what thing I didn't realize is I only had one boot on. Oh, my gosh. I walked into the truck stop with one boot on, and I walked back to the truck, and I keep thinking I'm driving my old Purple Pete, that I'm not driving the blue systems. I, my mind's somewhere else. I get in somebody else's truck. I step up, and I climb in somebody else's truck that looks like my old Purple Pete. And it's a, and have you ever seen the prime trucking trucks, the guys that are leased on the prime trucking? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, 
I've walked, I stepped up into one of his trucks, right? And I was sitting there in my cab, thinking it was my cab. And this guy comes out of the sleeper, what are you doing in my truck, right? And I'm like freaking out, like, this is my truck, how are you with? Well, of course, they call the cops, they call the sheriff. The sheriff show up, and they, they ask me where my logbook is. I said, I don't have a logbook. And they said, why not? I said, well, you guys got it, right? Well, they did. They, the, the, the sheriff had my logbook. Everybody, all their stuff was there, and I, I told them, I said, I just found out my girlfriend died, and, and, and they I'm, took some pills to sleep tonight, and I just freaked out, and uh, that's, I kind of threw this out in the air. And So the cops took my uh, my keys to the truck. They handed me to the truck stop, and I was supposed to pick them up in the morning, and they let me go. The other truck driver that for prime trucking didn't want to press charges, and... What had happened was when he, there was an empty spot next to my truck and he pulled in there while I was in there peeing. When I came back over, I walked to the same basic area and walked right in and jumped into his truck. My truck was on the other side of his. Wow. So, yeah, it was, a, it was kind of a screwball thing. If you talk, it, it, I'm sure the prime trucking company, if they hear this, they'll go like, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So now they know. Now they know who I was. It was in this truck, right? I'm a serial killer. So, yeah. So, I I I I go back in there and I I go to sleep and I pass out. Next morning I wake up at eleven o'clock. I go in there and I get my key from the from the uh, the cash register in there and I call my boss and he says, "Head to Phoenix, Arizona. I got a load for you." And then he's apologetic as hell. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do this. Uh, but you know, I had the cops here. We had to. We had to go through everything, and because they had called him and said, "Well, we cut him loose because he, he didn't. He didn't admit murder or anything like that. So he must not be guilty." And that's the way they had to look at it. They had to let me go. Right. So my boss was now all of a sudden giving me a load out of Phoenix, Arizona, and I did. And I had to tell him. I said, "Man, they took my tarps." I don't know why they took my tarps. It's a stupid thing to do, but they got my tarps. Well, okay, we'll hit up. So I headed to Arizona, and I got to uh, the forty feet, the forty-four D truck stop, which is about sixty miles east of Wilcox, Arizona. Okay. You ever, have you ever been there? I have not been there. That's I don't off th- I can. It- off Interstate Ten. If I have, I just I don't remember because I know we're Wilcox. Yeah, says. so I pulled into the 44D truck stop and I parked, and I went in. I thought, well, maybe I took too many pills on the night of the of the 22nd. So I took some more pills on the night of the 23rd, and of course the next morning I woke up. Right, <laughs> go right. figure. Yeah, these sleeping pills don't help. They don't kill people. They just make people sleep and and, and wake up in a bad mood. So. I wake up, and I look up on the mountains, and I see there's snow on the mountains up on the hills, and I said, you know what, I could go hike up there. If I hike up the mountain, I get up there, and, and hypothermia will set in, and I'll die. Okay. And while I'm sitting there, I'm thinking about maybe I should tell my family why I did this. All right. So I wrote out a suicide letter, and I said I killed eight people in five years, and I sent it to my brother Brad in Seattle, Washington, feeling sorry for myself. I, I drove the truck up to the foothills of the mountain, and I started hiking. I went up, in the, and the more I hiked, the more my body rejected the pills I take, and I started getting a clear head. And I decided at the end of the day I'd hike back to the truck, get in it, and I'd drive back to the 44D truck stop, and I would turn myself into Detective Buckner. I figured, let the legal system have me. 
right? Okay. And so that's what I did. I, I went ahead and I, I called up the Buckner and mm-hmm. I said, you got me, right? Wow. Uh, and I spent, and then within, you know, an hour and a half, Wilcox sent a couple co- cops over to me. I walked over to them, told them who I was, and they took me to their station. Then in, that was like around the, around the March, March 25th, they, they took me to Bisbee County Jail, which is down Bisbee, Arizona. And uh, I met my attorney down there, that my extradition attorney, and he told me the worst thing I could do is talk to cops. Right. So my case, you know, pretty much screwed. <laughs> and then several days later, they flew me back to Washington State and placed me in Clark County Jail. Now, all this time, my mind, you know, I was, I was thinking clearly, and I was thinking, man, I'm just going to go down for the Julie Winningham murder. Right. Why would... You know, I need to call my brother Brad and tell him to get rid of that suicide note, right? Right. Because that links me to, to possible eight murders in five years. So I call my brother Brad on the phone, and I get a hold of him, and I, and I tell him to destroy the letter. And what's he do? He said he flushed it. And I has gone, he says. But at some point, my dad gave the suicide letter to detectives. Okay. And that changed things from one murder to maybe eight. Right. Right. Now, I was arraigned for murder, for Julie Winham murder there in Clark County, and my, my attorney told me, to, and I waived the fast and speedy so that my lawyer had more time to deal with the case. Right. And I could have asked for, I could have said, no, I want a fast and speedy, and they would have had to, had to deal with it in 60 days. Right. But as it was, my lawyer had like 20 some other cases he had to settle, and and he needed more time, and I needed to talk to him and different things. And, and so he, uh, we just set everything off. Right. Which is kind of crazy. So there I, I sat there in county jail, and, you know, everything slows down. Oh, yes. I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I'm only down here for the Julie Manning one mur- you know, Winningham murder. I'm not only going to, I don't have to deal with anything else. Then on May 11th of 95, my lawyer, Thomas Phelan, comes in to see me. And he throws down a copy of the suicide letter in front of me. Oh. Right? And, you know, that my whole world just torn upside down because, oh, shit, my brother never destroyed it. I find out my dad gave it to detectives. And now I find out that, that Detective Rick Buckner of Clark County Sheriff is comparing it to the Happy Face letter of 1994 and believes it's a match. Wow. Right? And my lawyer says to me, is there any truth to this? And I'm going like, well, yeah. So I, link, I for, for an hour or two, uh-huh. I tell him about all eight murders. Wow. Right? Starting with the Bennett case, all when he takes down these notes. Now, these notes come into play. Right. Because these are the notes when I first tell my attorney about all eight murders, and including the Bennett murder. All the points in the, in the Bennett murder were on file with him on his notes. So from that point on, anyone that talked to me after that, if they came up with the information, if they don't coincide with what my lawyer's notes are, then they don't exist, right? Right. So everything falls back on my lawyer's notes. And this comes into play later when I'm trying to get them out of prison. Right. So I talked to him, and the way my lawyer says he wants to do it is, the way we should do this is we settle the Julie Winningham murder first, 
Daniel Sabris since I was the, the second to last one, that would be the second, and then go back and reverse sequence. So the Bennett murder would have been the last one I would have solved. Right. And I told him that's not what I want to do. Okay. And he said, why? And I said, well, I think if I get those people out of prison, if we can get those people out of prison, right. all these other cases will will just kind of line up and they will just kind of like be gone. They'll right. just come, they'll do it, we'll walk in, we'll do a deal and that'll be the end of that. They don't want to, they will not want to take me to trial on anything. Right. So my lawyer starts the process, right? And he tells me to keep quiet, don't bring anything up, don't talk to anybody and all this kind of thing. Well, Detective Rick Buckner couldn't help himself. He goes to the press and he says, this was his findings, he said, I got the happy face killer in my jail. His name is Keith Jesperton. And in June of 1995, you can go to the press in June of 1995, and you can bring up all the, um, the, the press releases that tell right. about how Keith Jesperton's now in Clark County being the ha- possible, the possible happy face killer, because I wasn't proven to be the happy face killer yet. Right. Because in the law, in the legal system, you're innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. So until I'm proven guilty in a court of law that that's who I am, I'm just suspected of being who I am. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I'm sitting there in June listening to this. I'm watching the TV and all this news about me being there. And I'm positive. I'm now all of a sudden now I got 30 guys in the cell with me. Right. And they're all going like, he's a serial killer, you know. And they yeah. all want, they're looking at me as dollar signs. Oh, yeah, totally. And they're get out everyone of jail wants, free card. Everyone's trying to make, everyone's going <laughs> to try to make a buck off me. Everyone wants to do a book. Everyone is, you know, hey, we, the Oregonian wanted to get uh, Rick Costalanus out of jail because he was my celly. They were going to pay his fines just so they could interview him. Wow. And he, 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 he refused to do that. I said, why are you, why are you refusing? Well, I'm going to get a book out of this. And I said, can you let him pay your $3,500 in fines and get the hell out of here. Yeah. Right? You're an idiot. You're an idiot. And of course he didn't. He, he just, by the time he called them back, he said, all right, I'll take the deal. They moved on. <laughs> right. They didn't want to do that anymore. You right. Know, so I had everybody trying to make a deal on that. It got crazy. It was literally nuts in the place. Wow. Yeah, because I, re- yeah. I remember when the Go news ahead. broke about it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember it was a big deal. It was like, whoa, no way. <laughs> yeah, you know. here I am. I'm in prison. I'm in jail up there doing this. And jail, jail is not prison. No, not even close. Let's just get things right. Jail is not prison. Jail is a place where people go to get sentenced to go to prison. Yeah. And and, and jail is a place where everything slows down, and it's slower than... There's there's inconsistencies in, in jail. Yes. You never know what's going to happen there. I mean, there's there's people that get arrested and, and get exonerated, and they go home, and uh, and people on constant, ongoing... Yeah. Uh, you know, everything just moves along. Right. Right, in a different way. Prison is everybody's sentence, and they're sitting there doing time. Right. And everybody knows what everybody else is in prison for, or, or pretty much. Right. But in county jail, you don't know who's next to you, who's right. the rat, who's not the rat. And I soon found out I had I, I was living in a, in a pod full of rats. Okay. They were they were willing to go to the man and try to make a deal somehow to get more less time, so I got more time. Wow. And. And so, yeah, and then while I was in there, I also found out that OSP was probably the best place to do my time being a, a multiple killer. That's right. how come I'm here. I found out from another inmate 
that this would probably be the best prison to do my time in. So I was able to orchestrate my my deal with Oregon and Washington. So I do my time in in Oregon State Penitentiary in Salem. Wow. And that's it, it, it's kind of a roundabout way. We'll get to that. Yeah. 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 No, I, I so, remember when it all broke and everything. But you're right about county jail because. And then it's like those of us who are in there were in there for, you know, bigger charges and we knew we weren't getting out anytime soon. You know, we had to entertain ourselves. So I learned how yeah. to mimic one of the officer's voices. So every once in a while I'd scream out a name to roll up and they get all rolled up and be waiting by the door. And the officer go, what are you doing? He go, they're like, you told me to roll up. He goes, no, I didn't. <laughs> Negative well, female you know, inmate. When, <laughs> so when the caught, when Detective Buckner went to the press. Right. And told them about me. You think that you you would think that they want to preserve the trial, so they would impose a gag order. You would think that, right? Oh yeah, no, they don't. No, no, they don't. They don't impose a gag order on the cops or Mm-mm. the prosecutors telling the press. Uh-uh. They they let them tell the press everything they want to tell them. Right. But the moment I would kind of if, if I that's why my lawyer says don't say anything, right? Uh-huh. Because if you say something, they're going to impose a gag order, and you won't be able to say anything. Right. So in September, I, I decided, you know, there's it, a point in time when I realized that I was facing all eight murders and eight murders in the second degree. My lawyer figured, my lawyer, Tom Phelan, is a great guy, right? He doesn't right. believe in the death penalty. Right. That's his only, you know, that's his, that, that's what he said. I don't believe in the death penalty. I don't think you should get the death penalty, Keith. So I'll do everything I can to keep you off death row. Okay. But if you get, you know, so when I... I when any of the deals were made, I didn't care how much time they were as long as I didn't get the death penalty because I was thinking of Tom Phelan, my lawyer. Okay. That was the only, that's the only, I didn't care whether I got the death Actually, if I'd gotten the death sentence, then I would have had the automatic appeal process. Right. Which would have been better for me than, than sitting there doing a regular time. Right. Because then I would be able to spend millions of your tax dollars right. and feel good about it, right? Right, and then by that's now what you, you guys want to do. Yeah, and then by now you'd be off death row anyways because Kate Brown just, yeah. you know, overturned everybody's death sentence in Oregon. Yeah, they overturned <laughs> it anyway. So yeah. we, all that money would have been, you know, fruitless right. effort. Right. Exactly. Would have all, all that money would have been spent and, uh, and what would have happened? I would have got a natural life. And, hell, there's, right. a, there's a guy in here that, that, is, that was on death row for three years, and I think he killed probably more people than I did. But he's getting out. Wow! What the he fuck? Is under under this under this clemency thing and, and parole, he yeah. went from three years on death row to life without to life sentence, and now he's paroling out. Holy holy yeah. shit! Tons Batman, no so, way. That can happen, right? Yeah. There's another guy that was doing life without several months ago, and he gets out under clemency. Wow! So this, the the Democrats are are emptying the prisons. Let's say. Oh yeah, Kate Brown is and, yeah. Yeah, and I had I had like uh, at, at a meeting, at a lifers meeting, and there were like uh, six or eight guys that were brought up about how they got clemency, they got they got action on parole, so they're going to get out. Wow! People I'd never, I never would never thought of would he ever got out, but they did. They're, they got a date. Wow! See, there's even a chance you know, for you, Keith. What's that? <laughs> there's even a chance well, for you. A chance? Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, no, that'd be awesome, not. man. Go, go do some fishing because you and I were talking as I was passing Philippi Canyon uh, earlier in the week. That's a great place for bass, man. 
Yeah. I could just see you two sitting on a bass boat fishing something. Oh, no, you do, you do it off the shore. Well, it's it's like even better. Over, be like one flew over a cuckoo nest, right? We'd take a boat out and catch a bigger salmon than the warden did. That's exactly, yeah, exactly what it, it would right be. There. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, that's kind of like, you know, this is the, you know, the, the, the daydream that we have, you know, thinking that we're going to get out of the nah, this. I have no see, chance in hell. But anyway. But see, Scott would be the Jack Nicholson yeah. character, so. so. <laughs> yeah, well, my biggest thing was while I was sitting there between June and September is I knew that the end result was going to be I was going to do life in prison. Right. Period. And my lawyer is not going to do a day of my life in prison. Right. Now, he wants to go to trial. And why does he want to go to trial? Because he makes $50,000 every time he takes it to trial. Right. So wow. he's going to make fifty grand. So he's going to make $400,000 off me going to trial eight times. Right. Right? If that was the case. Wow. And so I ended up pushing. I never went to trial. So what? how much money did he get for making a deal? I don't know. Maybe he got... A third of that or something yeah. like that. But he also got the prestige of having my name on his record. I was going to say, yeah, he's got that clout now that I was the attorney that, you know, kept the yeah, happy face got, killer off death that, row. <laughs> yeah, kept him off death row and got those two people released from prison and right. settled all these other cases. And yeah. 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 He's got he's got a good, uh, you know, a resume. Yeah, he's got a good resume now. So in September, I decided I was going to go public. Right. See, I was not. I was not the happy face killer yet until I was proven to be a happy face killer, or I admitted I was. Right. So I went public, and you might have seen the, the press releases that happened in, on uh, September nineteenth, where they went n- nuts again. Right. But I went public, and I had to. Now, people don't understand counties. The county they lock you down. Uh huh. They they do you not want your mail to leave without reading it? They do not want to, you to talk to someone on the phone without listening. Oh, I know. So everything is monitored. <laughs> everything yeah. is monitored. So everything that it goes out has to be by them, unless you can find another way. Right. So I got a I got a guy that had his wife in St. John's, and he had a lawyer come to see him, and so I wrote out seven confessionals to different press medias. Put him in a ten by thirteen envelope addressed to this guy's wife in St. Okay. John's, with this guy's name on it, and he handed it to his lawyer right. in Clark County. And his lawyer walked it outside of the building and put it in a mail drop box, wow. like on the on the fourteenth of, of September, and mm. on the sixteenth, which is a Saturday, his his wife in St. John's opens the ten by thirteen and just redeposits those seven confessionals into another mailbox and then on monday the 18th there's nothing i i, I was thinking there's going to be a big press thing and there wasn't but on the 19th it went nuts right you know i had i actually had guards coming to my cell shaking my hand for taking responsibility for being who i was wow but it basically screwed over anyone trying to write a book or or trying to prove i was the happy face Right, exactly. In court, because it wasn't going to happen in court. I was going to prove I was before, and I told my attorney before this all broke up that this was going to happen. So he was aware of it. Okay, so your attorney knew what you were doing. Well, after I after I sent the mail out, I told him I couldn't stop it. 
<laughs> oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So it's like so you asked for to, forgiveness to, and not permission. He knew it was going to happen. He just didn't couldn't stop doing anything about it. Right. Now, on the 20th, you know, on, on Wednesday, the 20th of September, uh, my Judge Harris calls me in and says, I'm going to have to, you know, I have to put a gag order on this to maintain a fair trial basis. Right. Yeah, the same thing he could have done for back in June, but he didn't. Right. And so I, now I'm under a gag order. I can't do it. Now, so what I ended up doing was I, I'd get other people in, in, the, in the jail pod I was in to make the phone calls for me. Okay. Yeah, I could get around this, you know. And then right. finally, you know, yeah, it, it was kind of a screwed up, you know. Multnomah County, I, my lawyer asked me what I, what I want to do, and I said, well, let's settle the, the Bennett case, right? So right. Multnomah County, when this whole thing came out, they claimed that I'm lying, that I didn't kill the, uh, Tanya Bennett, that it, this is all bullshit. Right. But they're in, a, they're in a minority there because, see, they want me not to be truthful, want, want me to go away, and all the other jurisdictions want me to be there. Right. So they're, they're pissed off. Now, that was, all you have to do is go to the press and read their editorials, and, then, and here you have the DA there in Multnomah just claim, oh, Jesperson's a liar. But they're mad. You know what they're mad about was that Detective Buckner went to the press before they talked to them. Right, right. They were pissed off because they wanted to get to me before the press got, got wind of it. Right. And, do and you that's think, what they were pissed off about. Do you think that they wanted to get to you first so that they could kind of like sweep everything under the rug? Well, yeah, but, but, you know, when I sent my attorney over there to talk to him, mm-hmm. you know, make a deal, the first thing out of uh, the prosecutor's mouth was, he said, I have three unsolved murders over here. I'll get you, and you can, we'll convict you of these three murders. Just leave the Bennett case alone. Oh, wow. Yeah, they wanted me to take three. They figured that I was after a body count, right? Right. They said, well, we got out of these unsolved murders. We'll just give those to you, and... And we'll just leave the Bennett case alone and let those two people rot in prison. Right. And I told them, no, this ain't going to happen, right? Right. But I sent my lawyer over to make a deal with them. Now, in order to make, usually what happens is that I'm charged with a crime and then a deal is made, right? Right. In this case, I sent my lawyer over there to make a deal before, I, before I'm charged with a crime. Wow. Because... They get access to me, and they give me a deal of 30 years, and they really are upset at this. remaining. I'll call you right back. Okay. All right. Welcome back, Keith. All right. So so I spent six hours denying guilt in the Winningham case. Right. And they knew I killed her, and the reason why they knew I killed her is because I didn't ask her how she died. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, so when I was... I never really dawned on me because... We killers, we know how we kill our victims, right? Right. So when they came over and asked, well, "Why did you know they? Why did you kill her and all this kind of stuff?" I didn't. And then they, one of the cops he says to me, "So well, why didn't you ask me how, how why she died?" And I said, "She's a drug addict." Oh. You know, I said she's a drug addict. She, she does all kinds of stuff. I don't know the people she hangs with are crazy, right? Right. Who <laughs> look who's talking, right? So <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I finally I said, okay, well, how did she die? She said, well, she was strangled. And I said, oh, really? Well, where did you find her? And then they told me a little bit, and I said, well, I didn't do it. And then, of course, you know, I lied to him, but I, 
at the same, I knew, I was looking, all the time I was sitting there, I was looking out a window and I could see the truck sitting out in the parking lot. They're going through the truck, man, they're going through it. They pulled the tarps off and they were put, they put the tarps in the trunk of a car. They, they, they told me, we believe you took the body, we put her in the, in the in, rolled her up in the tarp, carried her off under the woods, right, and then dumped her out of the tarp. And I said, are you out of your fucking mind? Yeah, it's so fucking tarps are heavy as that fuck. That 200 pounds. <laughs> I, this, I had a set of, of go-lights. You know what a go-light tarp is? Uh-huh. Well, a go-light tarp is, is a combination metal, you know, a steel tarp yep. and, and lumber tarp. It has a, a, a thick membrane on the top to cover over the over the product and has canvas sides. So I only have to carry one set of tarps for both steel and and lumber. Right. Whereas other 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 truckers they carry a set of tarps for for steel and they carry another set of tarps for for lumber. Okay. Which is an action asking to carry another couple hundred pounds on your truck, which I don't want to do. Right. Right. But, right. They're, they're they're taking these tarps and they're they're giving me this song and dance and then we we take you know we want your hair and blood. I said, well, let's go do it, right? So they take the hair and the blood. Well, and they asked me, will I take a polygraph test? And I said, yeah, go ahead, I'll take a polygraph test. Well, they couldn't arrange the polygraph test, which is okay. What do you want to say, Jack? And we I I kept deny 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 all the way because I knew if I never never uh, confessed to anything, they couldn't hold me. I just I did what they wanted me to do. I gave them the blood and the hair. I I talked to them. I didn't ask for a lawyer. Now why didn't I ask for a lawyer? Because I knew the moment I asked for a lawyer, that yeah. show me guilt. But it's really not. It's it's my right to have a lawyer. Right. This is this is the crazy part of the legal system. It's my right to have a lawyer, and I should have a lawyer. And hell, a lawyer should have a lawyer when they're yeah. being talked by God. But. Because if I ask for a lawyer, then I must be guilty of something. Right. That's that's the way the public sees it, and that's the way the cops see it too. Yeah. If you ask for a lawyer, you must be guilty. But even if you know, if I'd asked for a lawyer, I'm sure that uh, I would have got the hair and the blood, and they would have let me go anyway. But the lawyer would have told me what to expect in the legal system. Right. To some degree, I would have been let go, and I would have known more about what was going on. But. I was afraid if I asked for a lawyer that they would see me as being guilty of something. Right. And not be so forthcoming with me. So right. I never asked for a lawyer. And so eventually they they quit asking all the questions. They said, all right, we're going to let you go. Okay. So I go out to the truck. I walk out to the truck. And while I'm standing there, they give me the affidavit. Right? Uh-huh. To read. Right? They gave me the affidavit they had in order to get the blood and the hair and all this stuff. And these are all, this is a combination of, of questions and answers from all the people they talked to before getting around to me. Right. And so I read the, I went to a truck stop. I went to this truck stop down in, in Las Cruces and just down the street from the sheriff's office. And I sat there in the, in the, in the restaurant and I read the affidavit. Mm-hmm. And I said, man, they caught me. I was caught. From, wow. From reading the affidavit. Everybody had been, all her friends had pointed to the guy that never did drugs or, or alcohol. Right. I was a freak. In, the, in other words, I'm the freak because I didn't do all the drugs and shit. Right. And because I was, I stood, I wasn't the ordinary guy as far as they're concerned. I was the guy that, that did, the, did the murder. And of course, they're right. Right. But I realized I was caught. Now, the only thing I could think of was, man, 
I got to end my life. I got to get away from. I can't allow this to happen. You know, I don't want to get. I don't want to get in prison. I don't want to. I want to get this. I want to die so that nobody finds out who I really am. Right. So, I buy a bunch of sleeping pills out over the counter, and I bought about a bunch of packs, about seventy-two pills. And I don't know how to how pills react. I mean, these over-the-counter ones, I might as well have just throw them in the trash as, as good as they were because I took all these pills and I lay down in the bed, in my sleeper, and uh, I passed out, right? Well, in the middle of it, my body rejects the pills. I puke up all the pills. They're all over the four little half-digested pills. And I wake up and I'm dopey. And I have to piss really bad. And so I get out of the truck and I walk into the truck. And what did I didn't realize is I only had one boot on. Oh, my gosh. I walked into the truck stop with one boot on, and I walked back to the truck, and I keep thinking I'm driving my old Purple Pete, that I'm not driving the blue systems. I, my mind's somewhere else. I get in somebody else's truck. I step up, and I climb in somebody else's truck that looks like my old Purple Pete. And it's a, and have you ever seen the prime trucking trucks, the guys that are leased on the prime trucking? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well... I, walked, I stepped up into one of his trucks, right? And I was sitting there in my cab, thinking it was my cab. And this guy comes out of the sleeper, what are you doing in my truck, right? And I'm like freaking out, like, this is my truck, and I'll argue with him. Well, of course, they call the cops, they call the sheriff. The sheriff show up, and they, they ask me where my logbook is. I said, I don't have a logbook. And they said, why not? I said, well, you guys got it, right? Well, they did. They, the, the, the sheriff had my logbook. Everybody, all their stuff was there. And I, I told him, I said, I just found out my girlfriend died. And, and, and they I'm, took some pills to sleep tonight, and I just freaked out, and uh, that's, I kind of threw this out in the air. And So the cops took my uh, my keys to the truck. They handed me to the truck stop, and I was supposed to pick them up in the morning, and they let me go. The other truck driver that for prime trucking didn't want to press charges. And what had happened was when he there was an empty spot next to my truck, and he pulled in there while I was in there peeing. When I came back over, I walked to the same basic area and walked right in jumped into his truck. My truck was on the other side of his. Wow. So, yeah, it was, a, it was kind of a screwball thing. If you talk, it, it, I'm sure the prime trucking company, if they hear this, they'll go like, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So now they know. Now they know who I was. It was in his truck, right? I'm a thorough killer. So, <laughs> yeah, so I, 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 I go back in there and I I go to sleep and I pass out. Next morning I wake up at 11 o'clock. I go in there and I get my key from the from the uh, the cash register in there and I call my boss and he says, "Head to Phoenix, Arizona. I got a load for you." And then he's apologetic as hell. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do this. Uh, but you know, I had the cops here. We had to we had to go through everything. And because they called him and said, "Well, we cut him loose because." He, he didn't. He didn't admit murder or anything like that. So he must not be guilty. And that's the way they had to look at it. They had to let me go. Right. So my boss was now all of a sudden giving me a load out of Phoenix, Arizona, and I did. And I had to tell him. I said, "Man, they took my tarps. I don't know why they took my tarps. A stupid thing to do, but they got my tarps." Well, okay, we'll hit up. So I headed to Arizona, and I got to uh, the forty feet, the forty-four D truck stop which is about 60 miles east of Wilcox, Arizona. Okay. You ever, have you ever been there? I have not been there. That's I off I-10. Off Interstate 10. 
if I have, I just I don't remember because I know we're Wilcox. Yeah, so I pulled into the 44D truck stop and I parked. And I went in. I thought, well, maybe I took too many pills on the night of the of the 22nd. So I took some more pills on the night of the 23rd. And, of course, the next morning I woke up, right? <laughs> Go right. figure. Yeah, these sleeping pills don't help. They don't kill people. They just make people sleep and, and, and wake up in a bad mood. So... I wake up, and I look up on the mountains, and I see there's snow on the mountains up on the hills, and I said, you know what, I can go hike up there. If I hike up the mountain, I get up there, and, and hypothermia will set in, and I'll die. Okay. And while I'm sitting there, I'm thinking about maybe I should tell my family why I did this. All right. So I wrote out a suicide letter, and I said I killed eight people in five years, and I sent it to my brother Brad in Seattle, Washington, feeling sorry for myself. I, I drove the truck up to the foothills of the mountain, and I started hiking. I went up, in the, and the more I hiked, the more my body rejected the pills I take, and I started getting a clear head. And I decided at the end of the day I'd hike back to the truck, get in it, and I'd drive back to the 44D truck stop, and I would turn myself into Detective Buckner. I figured, let the legal system have me, right? Okay. And so that's what I did. I, I went ahead and I, I called up the Buckner and mm -hmm. I said, you got me, right? Wow. Uh, and I spent, and then within, you know, an hour and a half, Wilcox sent a couple co cops over to me. I walked over to them, told them who I was, and they took me to their station. Then in, that was like around, the, around a March, March 25th, they they took me to Bisbee County Jail, which is down Bisbee, Arizona. And uh, I met my attorney down there, that my extradition attorney, and he told me the worst thing I could do is talk to cops. Right. So my case, you know, pretty much screwed. <laughs> and then several days later, they flew me back to Washington State and placed me in Clark County Jail. Now, all this time, my mind, you know, I was, I was thinking clearly, and I was thinking. Man, I'm just going to go down for the Julie Winningham murder. Right. Why would, you know, I need to call my brother Brad and tell him to get rid of that suicide note, right? Right. Because that links me to, to possible eight murders in five years. So I call my brother Brad on the phone, and I get a hold of him, and I, and I tell him to destroy the letter. And what's he do? He said he flushed it. Ah, it's gone, he says. But at some point, my dad gave the suicide letter to detectives. Okay. And that changed things from one murder to maybe eight. Right. Right? Now, I was arraigned for murder, for Julie Winham murder there in Clark County, and my, my attorney told me, to, and I waived the fast and speedy so that my lawyer had more time to deal with the case. Right. And I could have asked for, I could have said, no, I want a fast and speedy, and they would have had to, had to deal with it in 60 days. Right. But as it was, my lawyer had like 20 some other cases he had to settle, and, and he needed more time, and I needed to talk to him and different things. And, and so he, uh, we just set everything off. Right. Which is kind of crazy. So there I, I sat there in county jail, and, you know, everything slows down. Oh, yes. I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I'm only down here for the Julie Manning one murder, you know, when you have murder, I'm not only going to, I don't have to deal with anything else. Then on May 11th, 95, my lawyer, Thomas Phelan, comes in to see me, 
And he throws down a copy of the suicide letter in front of me. Oh. Right? And, you know, that my whole world just torn upside down because, oh, shit, my brother never destroyed it. I find out my dad gave it to detectives, and now I find out that, that Detective Rick Buckner of Clark County Sheriff is comparing it to the Happy Face letter of 1994 and believes it's a match. Wow. Right? And my lawyer says to me, is there any truth to this? And I'm going like, well, yeah. So I, link, I for, for an hour or two, uh-huh. I tell him about all eight murders. Wow. Right? Starting with the Bennett case, all when he takes down these notes. Now, these notes come into play. Right. Because these are the notes when I first tell my attorney about all eight murders, and including the Bennett murder. All the points in the, Bur- in the Bennett murder were on file with him on his notes. So from that point on, anyone that talked to me after that, if they came up with the information, if they don't coincide with what my lawyer's notes are, then they don't exist, right? Right. So everything falls back on my lawyer's notes. And this comes into play later when I'm trying to get them out of prison. Right. So I talked to him, and the way my lawyer says he wants to do it, he says, the way we should do this is we settle the Julie Winningham murder first, the Angela Fabrice since that was the, the second to the last one, that would be the second, and then go back and reverse sequence. So the Bennett murder would have been the last one I would have solved. Right. And I told him that's not what I want to do. Okay. And he said, why? And I said, well, I think if I get those people out of prison, if we can get those people out of prison, right. all these other cases will, will just kind of line up and they will just kind of like be gone. They'll right. just come... They'll do. We'll walk in. We'll do a deal, and that'll be the end of that. They don't want to. They will not want to take me to trial on anything. Right. So my lawyer starts the process, right? And he tells me to keep quiet. Don't bring anything up. Don't talk to anybody, and all this kind of thing. Well, Detective Rick Buckner couldn't help himself. He goes to the press, and he says, "This was his findings." He said, "I got the Happy Face Killer in my jail. His name is Keith Jesperton." And in June of 1995, you can go to the press in June of 1995, and you can bring up all the um, the, the press releases that tell right. about how Keith Jesperson's now in Clark County being the ha- possible the possible happy face killer because I wasn't proven to be the happy face killer yet. Right. Because in the law, in the legal system, you're innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. So until I'm proven guilty in a court of law that that's who I am. I'm just suspected of being who I am. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I'm sitting there in June listening to this. I'm watching the TV and all this news about me being there. And I'm positive. I'm now, all of a sudden, now i got 30 guys in the cell with me. Right. And they're all going like, he's a serial killer, you know. And they yeah. all want, they're looking at me as dollar signs. Oh, yeah, totally. And they're get-out-of-jail-free card. Everyone's trying to make, everyone's going <laughs> to try to make a buck off me. Everyone wants to do a book. Everyone is, you know, hey, we, the Oregonian wanted to get uh, Rick Costalanus out of jail because he was my celly. They were going to pay his fines just so they could interview him. Wow. And he, 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 he refused to do that. I said, why are you, why are you refusing? Well, I'm going to get a book out of this. And I said, can you let him pay your $3,500 in fines and get the hell out of here. Yeah. Right? You're an idiot. You're an idiot. And, of course, he didn't. He, he just, by the time he called him back, he said, all right, I'll take your deal. They moved on. <laughs> right. They didn't want to do that anymore. You right. Know, so I had everybody trying to make a deal on that. It got crazy. It was literally nuts in the place. Wow. 
Yeah, because I, re- yeah. I remember when Go the ahead. news broke about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember it was a big deal. It was like, whoa, no way. <laughs> yeah, you know? here I am. I'm in prison. I'm in jail up there doing this. And jail, jail is not prison. No, not even close. Let's just get things right. Jail is not prison. Jail is a place where people go to get sentenced to go to prison. Yeah. And and, and jail is a place where everything slows down, and it's slower than... There's there's inconsistencies in, in jail. Yes. You never know what's going to happen there. I mean, there's there's people that get arrested and, and get exonerated, and they go home, and uh, and people on constant, ongoing... Yeah. Um, you know, everything just moves along. Right. Right, in a different way. Prison is everybody's sentence, and they're sitting there doing time. Right. And everybody knows what everybody else is in prison for, or, or pretty much. Right. But in county jail, you don't know who's next to you, who's right. the rat, who's not the rat. And I soon found out I had I, I was living in a in a pod full of rats. Okay. They were they were willing to go to the man and try to make a deal somehow to get more less time, so I got more time. Wow. And. And so, yeah, and then while I was in there, I also found out that OSP was probably the best place to do my time being a multiple killer. That's right. how come I'm here. I found out from another inmate that this would probably be the best prison to do my time in, so I was able to orchestrate my my deal with Oregon and Washington so I do my time in, in Oregon State Penitentiary in Salem. Wow. And that's, it, it, it's kind of a roundabout way. We'll get to that. Yeah. 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 No, I I so, remember when it all broke and everything. But you're right about county jail because and then it's like those of us who are in there were in there for, you know, bigger charges and we knew we weren't getting out anytime soon, you know, we had to entertain ourselves. So I learned how yeah. to mimic one of the officers' voices. So every once in a while I'd scream out a name to roll up and they get all rolled up and be waiting by the door and the officer go, What are you doing? He go they're like, You told me to roll up He goes, No I didn't <laughs> Negative female inmate. <laughs> So when the caught when Detective Buckner went to the press, right, and told them about me, you think that you you would think that they want to preserve the trial so they would impose a gag order. You would think that, right? Oh yeah, no, they don't. No, no, they don't. They don't impose a gag order on the cops or Mm-mm. the prosecutors telling the press. Huh? They they let them tell the press everything they want to tell them. Right. But the moment I would kind of if, if I that's why my lawyer says don't say anything, right? Uh-huh. Because if you say something, they're going to impose a gag order, and you won't be able to say anything. Right. So in September, I, I decided, you know, it, there's, it's a point in time when I realized that I was facing all eight murders, and eight murders in the second degree. My lawyer figured, my lawyer, Tom Phelan, is a great guy, right? He doesn't right. believe in the death penalty. Right. That's his only, you know, that's his, that, that's what he said. I don't believe in the death penalty. I don't think you should get the death penalty, Keith. So I'll do everything I can to keep you off death row. Okay. But if you get, you know, so when I, I, when any of the deals were made, I didn't care how much time there were as long as I didn't get the death penalty because I was thinking of Tom failing my lawyer. Okay. That was the only, that's the only, I didn't care whether I got the death. Actually, if I'd gotten the death sentence, then I would have had the automatic appeal process. Right. Which would have been better for me than, than sitting there doing a regular time. Right. Because then I would be able to spend millions of your tax dollars right. and feel good about it, right? Right, and then by that's now what you, you guys want to do. Yeah, and then by now you'd be off death row anyways because Kate Brown just, yeah. you know, overturned everybody's death sentence in Oregon. Yeah, they overturned <laughs> it anyway. So yeah. we, all that money would have been, you know, fruitless right. effort. 
Right. Exactly. Would have all, all that money would have been spent, and, uh, and what would have happened? I've got a natural life, and hell, there's right. a there's a guy in here that that is that was on death row for three years, and I think he killed probably more people than I did. But he's getting out. Wow. What the he fuck? Is under under this under this clemency thing and, and parole, he yeah. went from three years on death row to life without to life sentence, and now he's paroling out. Holy holy yeah. shit, tons Batman! No so, way. That can happen, right? Yeah. There's another guy that was doing life without several months ago, and he gets out under clemency. Wow. So this, the the Democrats are, are emptying the prisons, let's say. Oh yeah, Kate Brown is. And, yeah. Yeah, and I had I had like uh, at, at a meeting, at a lifers meeting, and there were like uh, six or eight guys that were brought up about how they got clemency, they got they got action on parole, so they're going to get out. Wow! People I'd never, I never would never thought of would he ever got out, but they did. They're, they got a date. Wow! See, there's even a chance you know. for you, Keith. <laughs> What's that? There's even a chance well, for you. Chan- <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, no, that'd maybe be awesome, not. man. Go, go do some fishing because you and I were talking as I was passing Philippi Canyon uh, earlier in the week. That's a great place for bass, man. Yeah, I could just see you two sitting on a bass boat fishing something. Oh no, you do you do it off the shore. Well, it's it's even better. Over, be like one flew over a cuckoo nest, right? We take a boat out and catch a bigger salmon than the warden did. That's exactly, <laughs> exactly what it, it would right be. there. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's kind of like you know this is the you know the, the the daydream that we have. You know, thinking that we're going to get out of not this. I have no see, chance in hell. But anyway, but see, Scott would be the Jack Nicholson yeah. character. So, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, my biggest thing was while I was sitting there between June and September, is I knew that the end result was going to be I was going to do life in prison. Right. Period. And my lawyer is not going to do a day of my life in prison. Right. Now he wants to go to trial, and why does he want to go to trial? Because he makes fifty thousand dollars every time he takes it to trial. Right. So wow. he's going to make fifty grand. So he's going to make four hundred thousand dollars off me, going to trial eight times. Right. Right. If that was the case. Wow. And so I ended up pushing. I never went to trial. So what? How much money did he get for making a deal? I don't know. Maybe he got a third of that or something yeah. like that. But he also got the prestige of having my name on his record. I was going to say, yeah, he's got that clout now that I was the attorney that you know. Kept the yeah, happy face got, killer off death that, row. <laughs> yeah, kept him off death row and got those two people released from prison and right. settled all these other cases and yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got he's got a good uh, you know a resume. Yeah, he's got a good resume now. So I, in September, I decided I was going to go public. Right. See, I was not I was not the happy face killer yet until I was proven to be happy face killer or I admitted I was. Right. So I went public, and you might have seen the, the press releases that happened in, on uh, September 19th, where they went n- nuts again. Right. But I went public, and I had to... Now, people don't understand counties. The county, they lock you down. Uh-huh. They, they, they do not want your mail to leave without reading it. They do not want to, you to talk to someone on the phone without listening. Oh, I know. So everything is monitored. <laughs> everything yeah. is monitored. So everything that it goes out has to be by them unless you could find another way. Right. So I got a I got a guy that had his wife in St. John's and he had a lawyer come to see him and so I wrote out seven confessionals to different press medias 
put them in a 10 by 13 envelope addressed to this guy's wife in St. Okay. John's with this guy's name on it. And he handed it to his lawyer right. in Clark County. And his lawyer walked it outside of the building and put it in a mail drop box. Wow. Like on the on the 14th of, of September. And mm -hmm. on the 16th, which is a Saturday, his his wife in St. John's opens the 10 by 13 and just redeposits those seven confessionals into another mailbox. And then on Monday the 18th, there's nothing. I, I, I was thinking there's going to be a big press thing, and there wasn't. But on the 19th, it went nuts. Right. You know, I had I actually had guards coming to my cell, shaking my hand for taking responsibility for being who I was. Wow. But it basically screwed over anyone trying to write a book or, or trying to prove I was the happy face. Right, exactly. In court, because it wasn't going to happen in court. I was going to prove I was before, and I told my attorney before this all broke up that this was going to happen. So he was aware of it. Okay, so your attorney knew what you were doing. Well, after I after I sent the mail out, I told them I couldn't stop it. <laughs> oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So it's like so you asked for to, forgiveness to, and not permission. He knew it was going to happen. He just didn't couldn't stop doing anything about it. Right. Now, on the 20th, you know, on, on Wednesday, the 20th of September, uh, my Judge Harris calls me in and says, I'm going to have to, you know, I have to put a gag order on this to maintain a fair trial basis. Right. Yeah, the same thing he could have done for back in June, but he didn't. Right. And so I, now I'm under a gag order. I can't do it. Now, so what I ended up doing was I, I'd get other people in, in, the, in the jail pod I was in to make the phone calls for me. Okay. Yeah, I could get around this, you know. And then right. finally, you know, yeah, it, it was kind of a screwed up, you know. Multnomah County, I, my lawyer asked me what, what I want to do, and I said, well, let's settle the, the Bennett case, right? So, right. Multnomah County, when this whole thing came out, they claimed that I'm lying, that I didn't kill the, uh, Tanya Bennett, that it, this is all bullshit. Right. But they're in, a, they're in a minority there because, see, they want me not to be truthful, want, want me to go away, and all the other jurisdictions want me to be there. Right. So, they're, they're pissed off. Now, that was, all you have to do is go to the press and read their editorials, and, then, and here you have the DA there in Multnomah just claim, oh, Jesperson's a liar. But they're mad. You know what they're mad about was that Detective Buckner went to the press before they talked to them. Right, right. They were pissed off because they wanted to get to me before the press got, got wind of it. Right. And, do and you that's think, what they were pissed off about. Do you think that they wanted to get to you first so that they could kind of like sweep everything under the rug? Well, yeah, but, but, you know, when I sent my attorney over there to talk to him, mm -hmm. you know, make a deal, the first thing out of uh, the prosecutor's mouth was he said, I have three unsolved murders over here. I'll get you, and you can, we'll convict you of these three murders. Just leave the Bennett case alone. Oh, wow. Yeah, they wanted me to take three. They figured that I was after a body count, right? Right. They said, well, we got out of these unsolved murders. We'll just give those to you, and... And we'll just leave the Bennett case alone and let those two people rot in prison. Right. And I told them, no, this ain't going to happen, right? Right. But I sent my lawyer over to make a deal with them. Now, in order to make, usually what happens is that I'm charged with a crime and then a deal is made, right? Right. In this case, I sent my lawyer over there to make a deal before I 
before I'm charged with a crime. Wow. Because they get access to me, and they give me a deal of 30 years, and they really are upset at this. remaining. I'll call you right back. Okay. One of okay. our systems is all fucked Hello? up, because both times that you called, I was hitting to accept, and then it hung up. Well, there's, I, I kept on asking, you kept recording back to me. I figured what happened was you didn't have enough money on your account, and I went ahead and used my money this time. Oh, and it well, went there through. Should be That's I was going to say, there should be enough money on there. We have, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like 30 some All bucks right, well, there. I'll let you guys make up. This is the last call for this morning anyway. So. Ah, yeah. gravy. So anyway, I sent, my, I sent my lawyer over to talk to him before, deal with, before I was charged in a crime. Right. Because normally you're charged in a crime and a deal is made. And the reason why is I, I sent him over there before I was charged in a crime because I had to prove I was the murderer. In order mm-hmm. to prove I was a murderer, that I would have to give up all the evidence to prove I was. And therefore, I didn't have anything to hold back to make a deal later. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. See, so, so this is what, you know, that it kind of pissed them off that I was asking them to make a deal to a life sentence to a murder they didn't want to convict me on. Right. Because they wanted me to go away. But in order to talk to me to find out what evidence I had, they had to make a deal. Right. They had to put it in writing. So they did. They gave me a 30-year sentence, which was more time than they gave John or Laverne. Right. And there I sat. So all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, I, I can I can talk to them. Well, they all now want to talk to me, and they want to carry on with, uh, you know, they're trying to find out what I know to get those people out of prison because they've used all the evidence they knew of in Laverne's trial so there would not be an appeal. Right. They, 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 they fed her all the information they could think of so that she couldn't come back around and say, okay, under new evidence. And there, was no, there wouldn't be no new evidence. Right. And that's what they, that's what they, they, were, they were wondering what I knew. Right. So they needed to. So they needed to talk to me. No, you have to understand that they did not want to prove I was guilty. So they were going to do everything they could in their power to make me sound like I'm a, a kook that yeah. I don't know what's talking about. So that if I don't know things and all these kind of things, so we, they set up a meeting on September 25th, and they all come over to Clark County, and we all sit down, and and they bring me in, and and I'm talking to them. Now, they asked me a lot of questions, and then they asked me what she was wearing, and of course, I don't know. Right. I'm guessing I'm guessing they're dark clothes of some sort like that. So I started to guess. My lawyer pulls me off the side and says, Keith, you don't guess. Right. These people don't want you to be guilty. They want this thing all to go away. Don't guess on anything. Only tell them what you know. And I said, Right. Well, you know, there's only, you know, when I killed someone, I didn't take inventory. Right. To bring it up later. I mean, I don't know what the hell. I mean, I, right. I didn't even, I didn't even know Tanya was named Tanya. I thought her name was Sonia. Oh, okay. I thought it was, that's what was on the bathroom wall in, in Livingston was Sonia Bennett, not Tanya Bennett. Tanja. Wow. It was, it was Sonia. And so I had, I, I, I yeah. So, I didn't know exactly what it. I told now I all the evidence I could come up I could think of, but I wasn't sure. Like the rope around her neck, did I cut? Did I cut both ends or just one end? 
Right. And I said, well, I think I cut both ends, but I didn't. I, one end was burnt, where you use a match to seal off the, the, the nylon so it wouldn't fray out. Right. The other one was cut. Well, did I cut both ends or not? I don't know. I forgot. So I okay. had to guess. So I, I can't guess, so he tells me don't guess. What did I do with the buttons on the fly? Well, I threw them in the fireplace. Okay, well, that's... So we went through this, and then we decided to set up a, a, a drive around, right? Right. But because of all this conversation I had on the 25th, I realized that it was time for me to break the gag order. Right. So on September 30th, I think it was Saturday, uh, I called up Phil Stanford on the phone. He gave me a, uh, he sent me a letter with his phone number, and I called him up. He was now working for the Willamette Week. Right. And that article came out, I think, like on the 4th of October of 95. You might pull it up. He says, phone calls from a serial killer or some stupid thing like that for Phil Stanford. But it, the article's there. I imagine you can pull that up. But okay. I talked to him for about four or five calls, and then uh, on the 1st of October, which was, a, which was a Sunday, I get pulled out of my cell in C Block. I'm taken up to the medical unit, and I'm put in a sealed door so I'm not allowed to get out when the phones are on. So I get out and have my shower at about after 10 o'clock, 10.30 at night. That's when I get out and have my read the newspaper or whatever else. But I can't have access to the other inmates. So what I do is I get one of the other inmates to help me. Uh-huh. And I'll get to that. Okay, so they're, they're, they're all told not to help me, but I, I get Dale Thompson to help me. So on October 2nd, which is a Monday, it was raining, right? Captain Dahl, he was coming down. And my Detective Buckner picks me up and my lawyer, and we drive over to Multnomah County to their sheriff's office, which is on the corner of 122nd and Gleason. Uh-huh. Kind of kitty corner to Judy's, Jody's uh, topless bar, or whatever, strip bar. Okay. It's a good place for a cop shop to be, right across the street yeah. from the strip shop. You know, <laughs> kind of thing. There's a McDonald's there, too, right next to it. So, yeah, they got everything, got, you know, got movie and, uh, uh, you know, hey, got, a, got a meal and a movie. and a show. Yeah, <laughs> movie and a show, meal and a show. So they get me there, and they walk me into the sheriff's office, and they set me down in a cubicle. Now, this cubicle is set up. I sit down, and I'm kind of glancing around this cubicle, and there's a picture of Laverne pointing off in the ravine. There's paperwork laying on the desk with everything written out in bold letters, not just little letters, made so I can see it and read it. They want me to be contaminated when I leave that place. Right. I see this, and I close my eyes. I just shut my eyes like I'm going to go to sleep, right? Wow. And I'm, I'm sitting there knowing that's what they're trying to do. Right. And so I sit there, and I'm, I just went through this. Now, all of a sudden, they come around, and they say, okay, let's go. So we go out to a nine-passenger Dodge van, and I get in, and I'm in the third seat back. And I, I have to give them directions. So I give them directions to the house at 18434 Northeast Everett Street. And we park outside the house, and I said, okay, let's go on in. I'll show you where the murder happened, and, and I'll, I'll pinpoint maybe some, there might be still some few little specks of blood on, the, on, on some of the wood down at the floor or something, right? Right. I don't know, but maybe there is. But maybe they can spray with luminol, and, and they can see. But they don't want to do this. No, no, we can't go in the house. No, we're not going to do that. And I said, okay, so we go to the, so I give him directions to the B&I Tavern on Stark Avenue. 
again, we park out in the parking lot, and I give them a description of the interior of the, of the, of the place, where all the tables are, and that, where I went in, where I come out. Then we drive up to the Vista House Monument. Now, when we get up there, uh, they throw a towel over the odometer. Well, I couldn't even see the dashboard anyway. Right. And we drive down the, the roadway off of the Vista House, which dropped down pretty sudden. And we follow along the, the bank, and all of a sudden it turns to a sharp left, north, northwest uh, point in direction, and it's a straight line. And I tell them to stop, because that's the ravine I want to stop at. And they keep driving. They drive until uh, we get to the next waterfall, and, and I try to convince them to turn around. So they turn around, we drive back. And we get to the top of the ravine, I tell them to stop, and they keep driving another 50 to 100 yards. And finally we stop, we get out, we walk back, and it's raining still, and, and I'm uh, in handcuffs and leg irons. Mm-hmm. Now I get to the top of the ravine, I'm starting to walk off the road into the ravine because I was going to walk down to the bottom and stand where the body was, where I put it. Mm-hmm. And they yelled at me, stop. And I could see uh, that they were almost reaching for their guns. I think they, were, they wanted to kill me. I know they wanted to kill me. But... I stopped, and I stepped back, and I said, okay, what? I can't go down there and show you where I was with the And one of the cops says, are you sure it's not this ravine over here? And they showed another one. And another cop walked down and said, you sure it's not this one over here? And I looked over at my lawyer, and I said, what the hell's going on here? He said, this is it. This is the place we go down. He said, no, no. He said, they, they came up with a, with a, a game. They said, the best guess scenario, uh, A, B, C. Right? Which is your, your best guess where this is? And he says, A, B, or C. And I said, well, I guess if I have to go down that road, my best would be this one. And that's why they said I, I never got the right ravine, which I did. They just wow. wanted to say I didn't. Right? This is, they're, they're playing, right? They're trying to make this go away. Right. And so all of a sudden now I said, okay, so now we need to know where this person's at. So I, I, I tell them how to drive over to the the Sandy River Road, and we drive them up the Sandy River, and as we're driving, I'm saying, hey, you know, I know exactly where the first is at. Can I walk down in there and get it? And they said, no, 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 we're not going to allow you. We're going to send the Explorer Scouts down to get it, so it's all documented. And I said, oh, okay, so we're driving up the road, and there's a Y in the road, and there's a road coming down off to the left. And I tell them to stop, and these people stop so quickly, we almost all fall out of their chairs. Wow. They slam on the brakes so bad, we almost fall out, man. This is it. And so we all get out there, and I'm walking. I'm looking down this ravine, and there's all full of blackberry bushes. Right. right? There's blackberry entrails going every which way. And I know this isn't it. But I'm laughing to myself. I'm thinking, this is it. Right? Right. Because these, these guys, <laughs> these motherfuckers are going to go down in that ravine and look for that purse. Right. They're going to go down in there, and they're going to look for it because they want to destroy that evidence. They don't want me to prove I did it. Mm-hmm. So they... So, I tell them this is it. Well, and they said, "Well, are you sure?" And I said, "Well, yeah." I said, so we walk down the roadways, and there's this this big old tree stump underneath the the, the the telephone line. And I said, "You see that big tree stump over there?" And he said, "Yeah, I see that." And he said, "Well, I know it's not south of that old dead tree stump." Okay. Right. It's 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 this way. It's in this ravine in this area right here. So they have a plan for the seventh of. October to bring the Explorer Scouts out and search that area. Okay. Okay. And that's where that's what they think they're going to do is going to find it there, but it's not there. Because right. I didn't tell them where it was. Because I didn't trust them. Right. I didn't think I could trust the police to do the right thing, 
and, and get the evidence and prove that I did the crime, I think they wanted to bury it. I think they wanted to destroy the evidence. So right. I don't tell them where it is. I want the press to watch over the evidence while it's being found. That's what I want. Okay. So when we get back on the drive around, we get back to the thing, I write, uh, I get Dale Thompson uh-huh. to send a letter to his girlfriend in Washougal, Washington, and have her send a letter to Phil Stanford in the mail. Right. And in that letter that I sent is the real location of where the purse is at. Okay. And I wanted, I wanted Phil Sanford to receive a phone call from Dale Thompson the following Wednesday on the 11th to verify that he got the letter. Right. And that he was going to watch over the area because I wanted him to be there watching over when I told Multnomah County where it was. Right. Right. So I, I got Dale to do that. Now on the sit on the fifth, the night of the fifth of of October, uh-huh. is, is now I wanted the gag order to come off the Winningham case. Right. I wanted the case to go. In other words, my lawyer had full intention to take me to trial because he thought he could get me murdered in the second degree. But I wanted to ruin the case. I wanted to ruin the trial. I wanted to make this all settled right away. So what I did was I, I. I let word go to Buckner that I wanted to talk to him. And at 11 o'clock on the 5th that night, he pulls me into his office, and I confess completely the Winningham case, the okay. murder. So there's no evidence that they could come. The only reason I have a trial is, is for discovery. Right. right. So there's no discovery anymore. Now I give out all the information to the cop, so there's no discovery. And he goes straight to his pro- to, his, to the prosecutor and they're laughing, thinking, oh, yeah, we got him now, right? But they right. don't realize what I did. Right. Is I, I ruined the trial for my lawyer, which meant that the morning of the 6th, I was in the state police officer in, in Multnomah County, and I was going to take a polygraph test in the Benning case. But at the same time, I, uh, the prosecutor for Winningham called my lawyer to tell him that I had confessed everything to Buckner the night before. Right. Wow. And then my lawyer says to me, what do you want to do? And I said, I want you to settle. I want to plead guilty in the Winningham case, but I want to set off sentencing until I'm sentenced in Oregon. So I do all my time in OSP. Okay. So I can plead guilty in, in the Winningham case and set off sentencing until after I'm sentenced in Oregon. Right. And my lawyer says to me, so well, we haven't even proved anything in Oregon yet. And I said, don't worry, we will. Right? Right. And he's all bloodshot eyes, and he's like, I said, you need to, you need to, drop off all your, your, your clientele there. And he says, I was his only client at that time that I was making him work too hard. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he was, he was, he was, he was, you know, he was, he was bloodshot eye and he was hard to get around. But we were there to do a polygraph test. And I told him I had a sore throat. Okay. And I said, I sore throat and I was, I was swallowing all the time. I couldn't help it. Is that going to make a difference? And they said, no. Okay. So we did the test. We did an hour test and, and then, they stopped the test and they said, well, no, he's swallowing all the time. It's, it's screwing up their polygraph test. So they rule it as inconclusive. Okay. I was passing the test. I was passing the test. I know I was. Right. But they didn't want me to pass the test. They didn't want me to prove I was guilty. They wanted me to prove I was innocent. Uh-huh. Which is the opposite of what they normally want me to do. Right? Yeah, exactly. So they want me to prove I'm innocent and, you know, and then fail. But here I'm proving I'm guilty and I'm passing. Right. 
So the thing is over. Now, while I'm there, I'm looking down at these guys, and all their arms have bandage on them. <laughs> they have scratch marks all over their arms where they've been down in the blackberry bushes looking for the ID card. Wow. I know this because I'm looking at them. I'm laughing at them. I told my lawyer, I said, look at that. Look at all the scratch marks on them. They were down in that ravine looking for the purse. I know they were. Wow. <laughs> so the following day on the 7th, uh, the you know, Explorer scouts go in and they look and they don't find it. My lawyer calls me on the phone. He said they didn't find it. So I know they didn't. What? I don't, I didn't know they didn't. They didn't. They didn't find it. That's fine, right? They will. I told him. And he says, "How can you be so sure not? They will. Don't worry about it. Just trust me." And so on the eleventh, I I get Dale to call Phil Stanford, and I and he calls and he verifies he got the letter and that he's going to be parked on top of. It. Then on the twelfth, I talked to Chris Peterson, who's a detective of Mountain County, and he's over there talking to me. He said, "You know, I lied to you about where the purse is at." And he says, "You did?" I said, "Where is it at?" He says. I said, you know, I got a letter to uh, Phil Stanford telling him where the purse is at. He's probably there looking for it right now. And that really pissed off Peterson. Where is it, Jefferson? i got to know. And I said, well, you know that old dead tree stump underneath the telephone line I told you not to go south of? And he said, yeah, I know that one. I said, you probably should have gone about 40 feet south of that old dead tree stump down in the, you know, the Poison Oak. That's where it's at. And he's like, and so he ran out of, the, out of there so fast to, you know, to call up and get that area shut down, secured, which he did. And then on the 14th, which is Saturday, the, the, the Explorer Scouts went out there under the watchful eyes of the press right. of, of Phil Stanford watching over there, or the idea that Phil Stanford was watching over. I have no right. guarantee that Phil was actually watching over it, only the fact that Peterson believed he was. Right. Right. And so they found the purse within like 15 minutes. And in the L.A. Times, you, you could read where, uh, you know, Jim McIntyre's sitting down. He said they found it. And he's, he's, he's jokingly said, well, go get rid of it, right? Right. Okay, so I get a, a phone call from my lawyer saying that they found it. Well done, blah, blah, blah. He said on the 16th, which is a Monday, I was going to plead guilty in the Winningham case. Mm-hmm. And, the, and he told me that Monroe County was now trying to say that I was involved in the Bennett case along with Laverne and John. They're oh. trying to make us all three guilty okay. of the crime, trying to make me out to be that I, I worked with them right. in the case. And, of course, I, when, on October 16th came along, I was in front of the judge, and, they, and I pled guilty to the Winham case, and the gag order came off. Mm-hmm. And at that very time, I pulled out a, a, a press release. I handed it to my attorney. I told them to go over to Multnomah County and hand that to the to the district attorney's office and tell them, I'm going to go to the press with this if we don't work together and get these people out, right? Okay. My lawyer comes back and says, they'll work with you as long as I stay out of the press, and they will prove I, I was the only one that killed Bennett at the time. Right. And they'll try to get those people out of prison. And that, from that point on, within 15 minutes, let's say, all of a sudden they located... Roberta Ellis, my old girlfriend, and she corroborated some of my evidence and said that I confessed to her the murder of, of Tanya Bennett, which I didn't. Okay. But they they needed some corroborating evidence to subside all the evidence they tried to destroy that I was trying to bring, bring out all the time. Okay. So from that point on, from that point on, from October 16th, from that point on, now they're working with me to get these people out of prison. Right. 
And so the next polygraph test I have taken is with the FBI office. And they bring in the FBI, and I take and I pass the same polygraph test I took in October 6th, and I pass this one again. And then they bring in Laverne, and Laverne says she doesn't know me and all this kind of thing. There's a lot of evidence that plays out in this. And then by October 25th, somewhere like that, they go in front of Judge Lipcomb of Marion County, and they say, okay, this is the evidence. We need to let those people go. And then, of course, Judge Lipcomb slows the whole thing down. Right. So that the evidence is all played out. They want to come up with a solution to get them out of prison without a new trial, without new evidence. They don't want Laverne in front of a witness stand telling how she how she knew all the evidence that they knew. Right. They wanted her to go away without new evidence coming out in, into the public. They wanted them to just go away. Right. And so what do they do? They claim, with, with John, since he never had a trial, he just pled no contest, that they claim that Laverne wore a wire in order to get, and his civil rights were violated in wearing that wire, so therefore they could just let him go. Okay. Where Laverne had won to a trial, and then a new evidence, there'd have to be a new trial to be exonerated, right? A right. A jury trial. Well, they didn't want that. So they, they said, we'll let you go, even though you're legally found guilty in a, of murder, but we'll let you go because of Oregon's cruel and unusual punishment law. Right. We'll let you go because you're factually innocent, even though you're, you're, you're legally found guilty in a, in a crime. Uh-huh. See, I'm starting to think that Squatch over here, that Tammy should let me go, because working with you, Tam, is like cruel and unusual punishment. Bitch, I'm the one being punished. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this is, this is the, the, the kicker of the whole thing. You know, it's, this, this is how it all played out. Right. I mean, one, once, I, once I got them, their attention, and I, had to, I had to sit back then and not go to the press, which kind of pissed me off, because... I felt that if had I gone to the press and pushed it harder, at the end maybe they would have got out quicker. You know, they got out on the, they ended up getting out. I, I pled guilty on November second of '95 in, in Multnomah County, and I picked up 30 with a 20 minimum in the case. Right. My lawyer said I got a better deal, and he could have got me okay. by doing this. And then on the 27th, the, the Monday following Thanksgiving of that year, remember there's a big storm that happened. Oh, yeah. Every the trees are falling over and stuff. In the middle of that storm, they let him out of prison. Why? Because the press is covering the storm a lot with. So this was like a, a you know, not a very big deal in the press that they got out of prison because there's more going on about you know people losing their houses because the trees falling on them. Right. And so on the 27th of November, 1995, the Monday, they went in court and they came up with a solution, and they cut him loose. Now, there's no telling how much money. Did they get money for getting out of prison? I don't know. See, I don't I, I have don't no know idea. either. That would be something that maybe their family, maybe Laverne's family would know. They could have charged her with tampering with evidence. Right. And, and say... Hindering prosecution, served. yeah. Give her time served, and, and, and she'd get nothing. Right, but she—they opened the door and said, "Get the hell out!" Slapped her in the ass and said, "Go." Um, John, I mean, at, at court, apparently she, you know, she was looking over at him like your boyfriend girlfriend again. Oh, really? Kind of thing. Yeah, she was like caught up with this idea that you know they're going to get back together again, everything's going to be okay because she feared that John would just come over to her house and beat her, slap her around again. 
That's a whole different psychosis. We can have a, we can have episode after episode on that kind of yeah on that psychosis on, on that specific yeah. psychosis. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. See, nine years after he get I get him out of prison, uh, John writes me a letter and asks me for help to find another attorney to sue him. And I right. write him back and I said, you know, your statute of limitations are over. The only way you could sue them is you have to prove that they knew they were innocent when they arrested and convicted them. Right. If you could prove that they knew that John, and this is going to be a hard sell because they were covering their bases all the way along. They did, they knew that that's the only way they could be sued, and that's why they let him out of prison without a new trial. Under a new trial, and, and Laverne said, uh, Detective John Ingram gave me all the information. He coached me. He took me out there before he took out, you know, this is this is the way it played out. Then, of right. course, a settlement would have been made. Right. Uh, uh, one that had been out in the open. Now, there may have been a settlement anyway with Laverne getting out. I don't know. Yeah. I know John, when he wanted to sue nine years later, he probably he was a nutcase. You know, he, he, he got out and he just wanted to get out. So, but, yeah. But see, but when he went back nine years later, wasn't Laverne already passed away at that time? Yeah, Laverne was dead. Yeah. Laverne died in six, in 2003. Right. Of, of heart disease, which... You could say, well, she got that in prison. You right. know, her family could argue that, and well, she got that with all the bad food in prison. <laughs> but you would think that they right. could also argue what we talked about many times, which is that Laverne was a total nut job. I mean, think about it. Let's take them out of the equation. If you had anybody calling someone's probation officer for every freaking crime that happens. There was a bank robbery, so so John did it. There's a child missing. John did it. Uh, somebody ran a traffic light. John did it. You know, type thing that uh, that the well, whole the system would look and go, okay, look here, nutbag. <laughs> well, you call over everything. Is, man, when, when they put a, a, an article in the newspaper looking for information, they purposely leave stuff out so that it eliminates these nutcases. Right. But in this case, they hooked on to her and right. used her because she was trying to get rid of her boyfriend who was on probation. Right. No, and they totally. were trying to solve a murder. And they were solving, solving, hey, wait a minute, we can't, we don't know who it is. And this woman's willing to put her boyfriend in this. Why not let her do it? Yeah, you would think that somebody would set that at least one person in the whole system will should have some some form of ethics, good yeah. ethics. Well, to I go, think you what know what, this is, isn't right. I think Detective Al Corson had ethics. I think that they used him. That's right. why, whenever they went to trial, if you wanted a court transcript, you'll probably see he was the only one that testified. Because if Detective John Ingram got on the stand, he'd probably they'd probably catch him in lies and lies and more lies. Yeah, now you right. get perjury and, charge. And he's the one that coached Laverne, and, and if, if the lawyers could get in cross-examine him, they might find out how he coached him. Right. Laverne probably told her, her lawyer, Wendell Berkland, everything about how this happened, but how, how does he prevent that in trial? Right. You know, they're gonna, there's a way, of, there's proper courtroom procedure, and sometimes you can't get evidence put in play unless certain questions are asked. That's true. That's how that's how the system works. I mean, yeah, that's true. They eliminate they eliminate evidence that sometimes doesn't ever come out. Is why is because they, they the way the prosecutor never asked for it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So and that's why we don't have we don't have convicted people on on juries. Yeah. See, and because I'm, they know how the system can go. 
see, and we're kind of working another case in uh, Texas right now where the arresting officers were literally being uh, it, uh, under testimony on the stand, and they pled the fifth because the way they got the inform- the uh, information or whatever that they're trying to use against this woman in court, um, they, they planted a listening device somewhere where it shouldn't have been. So yeah, well, that's the civil rights are violated. Exactly, that's the same thing that that's the same thing that they got right John on. Exactly. They, so it, they just made a claim that Laverne wore a wire. She didn't wear a right. wire. Right. Well, they and, knew that John never did the crime. They were they knew John didn't do it. They knew Laverne didn't, didn't you know was lying. Right. Right. So they just claimed they claimed that she wore a wire so they could get John out of prison. Right. Legitimately, it's, it's the way the system works. Yeah, but from from the sounds of this, that if they actually did have McIntyre get on the stand or whatever, or have to testify, he would have been one of those ones to plead the fifth too. You know, of course. You know, but and, and of course, yeah. the L.A. Times story. The L.A. Times story was his his way of tr- saying, "Well, this is how the case developed. I don't know what really happened." You you'll have to blame Laverne, right? And that's what they did. Towards the end of the article, they're all blaming her. Why this mm-hmm. happened. And, of course, she wasn't the master manipulator. Well, yeah, she didn't have the wherewithal to do that. She didn't have the brains for this. Yeah. This was, she wanted to get rid of her abusive boyfriend. Fine. Yeah. And we yeah. just got they the one-minute marker. They were to help her get rid of him. They were helping, and so yeah. they, they helped. Wow. You know, they coached her. They, they fed her information. And all she had to do was feed it back to him. Right. And she did. Because wow. she was so blinded by the idea of getting rid of him. Right. right, right. We got the one-minute warning. The whole story. This is the okay. whole concept. They want to get rid of them. So anyway. Yeah, so, um, but no. We'll and pick this up next week. Let's we pick will. this one up next we week. We will. Thank hey, you, Keith. Thanks, Keith. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you later, buddy. All right, friend. All right, later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. All right. So, you wanted to go over something after yeah. these calls. Yeah, I wanted to talk about how after he... Um, found out about Julie and everything, and he just knew that he was going to jail. It's like, it's only a matter of time before they're going to come back and they're going to arrest me for murder. Right? Right, right, right. So he decided he was going to kill himself. Right. Okay? I just think it's really bizarre because even, even, so he takes those pills, right? And then he talks about how the next morning he woke up and he was in like this stupor and he thought it was, you know, it wasn't even that era he was in you know because he was he was going back to a time where he thought he was driving a different truck even right 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 so and the cops are called again and it's all he did he feigns being upset over finding out his girlfriend died yeah okay you know what i mean so he kind of like avoids that and he was like and so in his mind he's thinking i'm st- i'm gonna end it i don't want them to know you know i don't want to go to jail for murdering my my girlfriend you know and subsequently maybe getting found out for all those other murders which you and I kind of had a laugh about with the whole, you know, when he got arrested, you're wanted for questioning for murder. He's like, in his head, he's going, which one? Yeah. You know, because, <laughs> and, I mean, I literally asked him, did you ask them that? No, of course not, but still, <laughs> you know. So it's like he doesn't want to get uh, that. So, I mean, so he eventually decides, you know, I'm going to, and he takes more pills the next night, and it still doesn't work. So he tries, he thinks he's going to go, like, expose himself to the elements and but then that only clears his head and he's like you know what i'm just gonna turn myself in yeah that makes sense yeah you know which i think that's not usually how that goes down with with uh 
killers. You know what I mean? No, they're that's either true. busted in the act, they or they have shootout by police, you know, suicide by cop or whatever. They don't normally call and confess and say, you know what, come get me. I did it. <laughs> yeah, it's you a know. little bizarre. That's why his case yeah. has always fascinated me so much. Yeah, his the whole case thing is very fascinating to very me. Very fascinating, very unusual. Very unusual. But, um, but uh, yeah, so that's kind of what I wanted to talk about is how that whole thing went down. Because even though he was guilty and wanted to end his life and the cops coming, you know, he could have been just like, yeah, I'm upset because I did it. He still wanted to off himself. Well, and it makes you know? sense, you know. You want to save your family from the embarrassment, exactly, and, and all that exactly. Stuff, so you know, it makes sense. but yeah, no. So that's kind of what I wanted to talk about too. And you know, people should stay tuned because next week we kind of have maybe a surprise, hopefully. You know, with that, oh, um, that other thing, perhaps, perhaps yeah. we will so, see. Working on it, working on yes. it. Yes. So there might be like special, special next week that we, you know, have to iron out all the details on. This is true. All right. Remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs. This show's copyrighted 2023 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. And remember, because I keep forgetting to tell everybody this, if you're hearing this on anybody else's podcast or show, they're lying, thieving bastards. bastards. We'll catch you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.